0: Platforms.
2: Nominated for Best Documentary at the upcoming Irish Podcast Awards, this is Tainted Gold, the Michelle Smith story.
3: So the waiting is almost over now. It's up
4: to the starter. Clean start.
2: I train six days a week. I only have one day off. I train six hours
1: a day. All I do is eat, sleep and train. Smith
0: I think on some level, I presumed she would
3: fail. I don't think anybody expected what ended up happening. 100 metres to go for the second
4: gold medal for Michelle Smith. Can anyone catch her at this stage? She's 15 metres to go to the turn. I think I was just shocked. I think I was in shock. She for the final 50 in front,
3: is
4: swimming of any color, and they're looking at absolutely. absolutely astonishing, astonishing achievement. And, you know, from the moment that happened then you know, the country went absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. Seven short days in Atlanta propelled Irish sport in general
5: onto an altogether different plane.
4: Ireland's greatest Olympian, Michelle Smith.
5: My name is Kieran Lennon, and you are listening to Tainted Gold, the Michelle Smith Story, a three-part series that traces her rise and fall, as well as the deep scars that remain to this day. We asked Michelle Smith to contribute to this podcast, but she said she was not available. She has always denied accusations of cheating during her swimming career, and in a recent statement to RTÉ Radio, she said her Olympic success was a culmination of 17 years of training and dedication to her sport. On August 6, 1998, two years to the day after she had returned to Ireland as a hero, Smith was hit with a four-year ban for tampering with a drug sample, and a year later she would lose an appeal to the Court of Arbitration for sport in what was a bruising experience. Michelle wasn't the only one left with scars. The whole episode had been damaging for almost everybody connected with the saga. For some, the fallout can still be felt 25 years on, it led to bitter divisions between those who covered the story. For the other swimmers in the Olympic pool, they may have swam in different lanes, but their stories were intertwined. And Michelle's gold medal performances would have real consequences for those who finished second in Atlanta.
3: Nine, seven. Second is Wagner, third now is Schmidt, fourth is Overton... Fifth
2: is Lynn. I won the first one, and I suppose then I got a bit greedy. Let's see what happens here because the lead could change hand, and Michelle is holding on, but her final 50. I also have to to acknowledge the support of my husband.
4: The coming through now to challenge lane one, Michelle Smith. In lane five, Ellie Overton is coming through as well, and lane four, Marianne Limford. So it's a very good race. Michelle
3: Smith
2: just. It's very important going into the Olympic Games that I had the support in the background there because I was fit, I had done all the work. And I needed somebody there to be able to, to understand what it what it takes to win an Olympic medal. And he, he knew just that.
5: Four years after Atlanta, Rick Morrissey was working for the Chicago Tribune. But he returned to the story to examine the impact of Michelle's doping violation on both sides of the Atlantic.
3: I remember she had gone into an Irish uh, bar in Jacksonville, Florida, her hometown, several years after and there was sort of a shrine to Michelle Smith in there, her success. And Alison and, uh, Wagner was furious and uh, yelled at the owner of the bar to take it down. And, and while that was happening, her friends went in and tore down all the photos of Michelle Smith from the bar. And they ended up getting banned forever. She just couldn't believe in her hometown that this, you know, sacrilege, if you will, was in public display.
5: On the first night of the Atlanta Olympics... Alison Wagner finished second to Michelle Smith in the 400 meters individual medley. It was one day before the American's 19th birthday. The great Hungarian swimmer, Kristina Egerzegy, finished third. Wagner had been a world record holder and an American swimmer of the year, but this would be her only Olympic medal of her career. And it was not the color she had dreamed of.
1: Like many athletes, my goal was to win the gold medal.
5: When Alison Wagner was beaten by almost three seconds by the woman from Ratkul, she was left stunned.
1: I was shocked. It was a surprise to be in that situation. Just a general disappointment to experience the Olympic stage in that way.
5: And for each gold medal won by Michelle, there would be swimmers left wondering if they were on the wrong step of the podium. Canadian Marion Limpert was in her second Olympics and had travelled in hope of any medal. But after setting the fastest qualifying time in the morning heats, she had her eyes set on gold
2: my initial reaction when i touched the wall and saw that i was second was honestly disappointment just because i had really i was looking to, to win the event and then when i saw that i'd lost to michelle who was over in lane one then i have to admit it was even a little bit more disappointing too so just because of the 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 rumors and, and sort of the controversy that had been swirling in the day before in the days before the event
5: Alison Wagner found the fallout from Atlanta particularly difficult. She had struggled before the Olympics with anorexia and bulimia. And when her all-consuming pursuit of Olympic gold fell short of her target, her world would fall apart.
3: It had a huge effect on her. I interviewed her uh, in 2000 uh, when I was working at the Chicago Tribune. She had had a hard time of it. She thought she was going to win a gold medal uh, in that event. And here comes somebody who kind of came out of nowhere to beat her. And so she had had, she had had emotional struggles before that. She had dealt with uh, eating disorders. And she told me that she can't remember, she couldn't remember eating for two weeks after uh, at the Atlanta games.
5: She would seek professional treatment to address her eating disorders soon afterwards. But there were other consequences to missing out on gold in Atlanta.
1: One of the indirect costs was that I went back to swimming where I had come from at the University of Florida and I had my scholarship removed for winning the silver, not the gold. I also had just at that point kind of resigned to the fact that it didn't seem evident to me that amount of dedication that I put into competing in sport fairly was mirrored by those in governance and power positions. Athletes need to know that their dedication to to fair competition is being protected to the nth degree.
5: Allison has turned her experience into a positive. She's recently completed a master's degree in sports ethics and integrity and has taken on a role with the US Anti-Doping Agency.
1: I am dedicating my professional life currently to advocating for and protecting clean athletes and clean sport. Unfortunately, my... um, experiences in sport were not totally positive to the point that they negatively impacted my life significantly. You got to understand that when you're an athlete at that level, sport is your life.
3: If they had taken away Michelle Smith's medals and given it to them, they still couldn't give them what they had gone to Atlanta for. And, and that was actually winning in the moment, uh, you know, raising their arms over the head in the pool, looking at their time and, and saying, yes, yes, I, I did it. You really can't get that back, it seems to me.
2: It bothered me for a while after after Atlanta. For sure, I kept having these dreams where, you know, I would wake up and everything. Yeah, I was the gold medalist. And right after Atlanta, too, I threw myself into school. I started competing. And then I just kept going. So I never really had a chance, I guess. In moments here and there, I would kind of stop and think about it. But then I would just keep going. And it probably wasn't until after I'd stopped swimming and in the moments since then when I have a little bit more time to think about it. And obviously every four years when the Olympics come around and I do some interviews that I think about it and I'm like, well, in my heart, I I do feel like I I had the, the best swim um, on that night in Atlanta and, you know, in, in the history books and on paper, that's not the case. But that's, you know, for me, that way I, I have some peace and, you know, I can look myself in the mirror and know that i had a clean performance and i did what i could and if others feel the same way when they look in the mirror or not i mean that's that's for them to, to deal with
5: michelle has had a lot to deal with since atlanta a point not lost on marion
2: i can imagine it it hasn't been easy for her um at the same time i feel like when you do something like that i mean you have to kind of know the risks and know that what, what could happen. I think at that point, you know, and, and even just looking at like some of the East Germans, it was coming out some of the health issues that they had. So besides the, like just the risks that you're taking, I guess I, I would have a little bit of sympathy for her for sure. At the same time, I feel like I don't think she, you know, I don't think when you do something like that, like you're not hundred percent naive in that situation, you're not hundred percent naive. And I think you kind of know, And you just kind of weigh the risks and think that, that, you know, it'll pay off in the end.
5: In the two years after those 1996 games, those who had covered the events in Atlanta had plenty to deal with. The division lines that first developed in Georgia would only grow wider. There was no room for nuance. You were either with Michelle or against her. No one was for turning. And as Paul Howard explains, it would stretch into all corners of their work a lot of us fell out with each other, you know, and I remember at press conferences, not even just Michelle Smith press
4: conferences, at other press conferences, football, GA, rugby, whatever it was, you know, the, the people who were kind of question, asking questions about Michelle Smith, we all sat in a huddle and everybody else sat in another huddle. And so you could actually see the line, like there, was, there were divisions there.
0: Yeah, well, 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 I think the whole Michelle story definitely... It did It did scar me in a sense. That's Vincent Hogan, sports writer for the Irish Independent. In that it it became very, very divisive between journalists. Like I wouldn't have had a civil word between myself and Paul Kimmich for 15 or 20 years after that. In fact, on the contrary, um, Paul would be stepping in by me at a soccer international or a rugby international and he'd make a Sarki comment to me and, and I'd make a Sarki comment back. I was really, really pissed off um, that it became journalist against journalist. I don't think it should ever have become that. But then I do, I do look back now and, and I don't think I really understood how those guys who went after her felt so isolated. And 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 for Paul especially, this was six years after he'd written this book, which he got absolutely savaged for in France. Um, and It was a much more personal thing for him than it was for me.
4: So my own background as a professional cyclist and a professional athlete, I'd seen firsthand what happens when you ask questions about Irish heroes and doping in Irish sport.
5: That's the voice of Paul Kimmage.
4: And those Irish heroes were Sean Kelly and Stephen Roach, who had been teammates of mine. And the questions I'd asked of them had been in 1990 when I wrote about Rough Ride and about the issue of doping and cycling, and the backlash then was uh, was pretty savage in in 19 in 1990 after that book was published, and I saw the full extent of what happens when you bring the Irish public a message they don't really want to hear, you know. And this was in 96. Then this was a replay of that. It was look, there's a there's another side to this story now, folks, that we need to actually look at here. And uh, you probably don't want to hear it. And they did not want to hear it. Um, so that was kind of uh, uh, a reminder, if you want, of something I'd gone through myself and wasn't fully recovered from, I'd say. And that impacted on my writing at the time. Uh, and that's why it was different to Eamon. It was different to David Walsh. It was different to Tom Humphreys. It was different to Paul Howard. Uh, i'm always reminded of the um that old saying about uh about bacon and eggs and, and the difference between the pig and the chicken you know and the chicken is involved uh, but the pig is committed so that was me in eighty in ninety six I was committed i was committed because i'd experienced a firsthand, and that put me in a difficult position and one that really I never came to terms with uh at least until another two or three years, really.
5: Paul Kimmage would keep working away on the Michelle Smith story after Atlanta, and you can feel how raw the issues were for him by reading his work at the time. During that two-year period, hostilities between the two sides would break out regularly, in print, on radio, and on TV. Then the story took a dramatic twist when the news of her tampered drug test broke in April 1998. Paul remembers hearing the news from David Walsh of the Sunday Times. Honestly,
4: look, I'm not going to lie about this. Was I happy? Yes, I was happy. Not because it would had massive impact on Michelle, but just for the impact on my own career and my own life at the time. Look, I can't state this strongly enough. I came home from the Atlantic Games, and I had to. I don't say I won't be over dramatic about it and say I had to run out of the country, but I was delighted delighted to pack my wife and kids off and take holidays for the month to get the hell out of the place because it was horrible. It was horrible. It lasted right through having that story, hang- having people like Cahill Derwin gloating in the papers about the fact that she was going to be suing us. She was taking us to court. That has an impact on your life. It has an impact on your personal life and on your professional life. And I did not find that time very pleasant at all. And until I got that phone call from David, I'm pretty sure it was about the tampering test, uh, the tamper issue in in uh, in April, late April of '98. It was a, it was a, it was a tough that was a tough time.
5: And with it, her weight was lifted. While Michelle would go through a disciplinary process to deal with her doping violation. There was no process for dealing with the wounds exposed by covering this story, and some will never be healed.
4: I still don't forgive a lot of the reporters, uh, and I will never forgive a lot of the reporters for the way they cover that story. And that may sound ridiculous, um, but here's my point. It was one thing to choose not to address the questions. It was one thing to choose to, you know, take a certain point on the story and report on that point. It was quite another thing to start attacking the journalists who were trying to address the story. And that's what happened. We became the target. We became the target for a lot of those, some of those writers at the time. Uh, and I couldn't forgive that. And I would never forgive that because that was. Uh, that was unpardonable for me, you know.
5: There was, however, some common ground in the feelings towards the Olympic Games themselves. That was my first Olympics. And with everyone after that,
0: more and more I found myself wondering what exactly are we supposed to believe here? Because a lot, a lot of what presents itself in the Olympic Stadium, in the Olympic pool, is literally unbelievable at times. And... It's, it's as if depending on your nationality, the questioning is either fierce or it's relatively
4: muted. look I, I, I haven't speaking personally that was the end of the Olympic Games for me I, I went to, I went grudgingly to uh, I went grudgingly to Sydney, and that was it. I never went back. I never want to go back. I don't engage with it. You know, I'm thrilled for Kelly Harrington. I'm thrilled for Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy. I'm thrilled for all of the Olympians who come back from there with a sense of, you know, having fulfilled something, a need in them. But with regard to medals, don't talk to me about medals. Don't talk to me about, you know, uh, medal tables and funding sport for medals. I hate everything about it. I don't want anything to do with it. I'll never write about it. I'll never go to the Olympic Games again. Absolutely not. And that comes down to Atlanta and my experiences that week and the way those medals, the effect those medals had on on Irish sport.
5: Michelle Smith still has her three gold medals and the bronze 25 years later. And as she reminded us when we asked her for an interview for this podcast, she is still a triple Olympic champion. It's in her email sign-off. But after all this time and all the scandal, do the medals mean anything?
0: I don't think they do. I believe she works as a barrister now. She, you never see her in the public eye. She's never wheeled out when the Olympics come around. Nobody seems to be interested in her opinion. I don't know where she keeps the Olympics, the Olympic medals. I very much doubt they give her much joy. Technically, she's the Olympic champion three times over from Atlanta. But technically is is never what you pursue as, you know, when you start off as a child. It's not a technical achievement you want, it's the achievement of being loved for doing what you've done, particularly in a small country like Ireland. You know, that technical qualification that she has those medals, I would say it means very little to her. I would say it means very little to her family because what happened two years after Atlanta, it just drove a freight train through that achievement.
3: But I think the legacy is that it's not her accomplishments. It's not. It can't be. Three gold medals, there's a shadow over them. And and no matter if you believe she was clean or not, that's what people are going to remember, that there's this, all this question about it.
0: Look, I, never, I never see her in any public forum anymore, but I, I actually feel sorry for someone who's gone through that because every time she's seen in public, people won't be saying, oh, there's the Olympic champion. They'll be saying... There's Michelle Smith who cheated, and that's that's the way it's framed. And uh, you know, she will still argue to this day. I don't doubt. Well, I didn't cheat, you know, and and I didn't. You know, my my gold medal still stand. but they they might as well be tin cans now. You know, they they they're really worthless.
4: My overriding emotion when I reflect on it is sadness. You know, my overriding emotion is sadness and. That's what I've been reflecting on in the last couple of weeks and on what I'm going to write about it in the piece I'm going to write about it. It's, it's what was lost, you know? It's what was lost in it all. And um, the people who are damaged were Michelle, her family, her friends and the people who loved and admired her for what she was in 1992.
5: And what about the journalists in all this?
4: Well, the journalists can go fuck themselves and do their fucking job. You know, fuck their damn... If they were fucking damaged, then that's the least they fucking deserve. I hope they fucking woke up.
3: The whole
5: story was a wake-up call for Irish sport and the Irish public. But for some of those who finished behind Michelle in Atlanta, there was also bitterness, according to Rick Marcy.
3: Really what was left in the wake of Michelle Smith, if you believe she cheated, and m- most of the swimmers involved do, you're, you're left with bitterness, I think. You're, you're, you're left with a bad taste in your mouth.
5: Marianne Limpert's silver medal in the 200 meters individual medley was the highlight of her swimming career. However, the experience left her with nagging questions that are still unresolved, but she was determined that they
2: would not define her. And I can only wish the best for her, honestly, like regardless of what may or may not have happened. You know, I I think that's all in the past and that's all we can do. Like harboring any sort of grudge or being bitter is really, it's only going to hurt me.
4: I kind of admire, admire is too strong a word, but I kind of get that Michelle moved on with her life uh, and wants to move on with her life and doesn't want to reflect or tell us what the secret was. I mean, here we are, 25 years later, she hasn't told us what the secret was. She hasn't told anyone what the secret was. She hasn't told the coaches anyone what the secret was. We're left to our own conclusions, okay? We're left to the cast hearing, okay? That's what we've got. So I kind of get that she wants to move on and I, I respect that. But she can't come out on Liveline and give this statement saying, I was so proud listening to Aaron Levine and try and pretend, you know, none of it happened. and try And, and try and rewrite history. I absolutely agree that she should not be forgotten. But she cannot be allowed to rewrite history. That's the bottom line.
5: The Michelle Smith story was a watershed moment in Irish sport. And as difficult as it is for some to recall that time, there are lessons in it that are worth remembering. And it's a storyline that's still gripping 25 years on.
4: I've said, I think it's the greatest book in Irish sport. It's waiting to be written. It's the greatest story in Irish sport ever. Full point. Nothing will ever top it. Nothing will ever beat it. She has it in her to write the greatest story in our sport,
5: period. And what if one day you could convince her to tell her story? Would you write it? Uh,
4: what would I what I do is... T- <laughs> would I do it? Yes, I would. Yes, I probably would. Yes, I probably would. Yeah, yes, I probably would. It's...
3: Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. You've been listening to Tainted Gold. This was
5: produced by Kieran Lennon and Shane Brennan, with sound design from John Smith. Thanks to RTE for the use of archive audio. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify,
4: or wherever you get your podcasts.